Well, good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? Good? All right, all right. Well, hey, I am Aaron Moore, and that's what I meant to tell you first. So I'm a student pastor here, and I'm very excited to be with you this morning. It's going to be an incredible day here at Victory Life Church this morning, and I hope you came expectant and ready for what the Lord wants to do in your life and uh, to be ready to praise and worship him because he is worthy. Amen. Well, hey, if you're new here, I just want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's an honor and a privilege to have you in the house at Victory Life Church, whether here in person or online. And we'd love to get to know you and to partner with you in this journey of faith together. Uh, life together is so much better in, uh, in community. Amen. And so we'd love to get to know you. If, if you could fill out the card, the connect card in the back of the seat in front of you and fill out that information, take it to the Welcome Center. We'd love to get a gift in your hand, and if you could, uh, if you're online, go to vlchurch.com and hit the new here tab, and you'll fill out uh, similar information as well. And we just love to get to know you and to just uh, do life together. And so, I have a few announcements for us this morning. Uh, first, being shine your light. Can I hear you say shine your light? Shine your light. One more time, shine your light. Come on, that is what Jesus has called the church to be. It says, uh, uh, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus has called us to be this, to shine our lights in our community. And so uh, a way you can partner with us in that and uh, is uh, all these ministry initiatives. If you go out into the lobby, you'll see it on a, on a big poster of what we're doing as a church. But to stay updated, we have these key tags. They're really cool. They have QR codes on them. You can just scan them, and there is a weekly update, and you can get updated on what is happening currently in our church and what we are doing as a part of the Shine Your Light vision. Also, we are launching Pray and Go on October 9th. And listen, y'all, we, we we are aiming for 100 people to be signed up to pray for your communities, in our communities. And we are at, uh, what I believe, 80 to 90 people signed up. Can I get an amen about that? Isn't that incredible that God is already helping us see these vision, this vision come to life? And man, uh, we want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up already, uh, to get signed up. It's going to be incredible. It will build your faith, I promise you. And so you can sign up in the lobby today. We also have life groups going on. Uh, man, what if you're like, Aaron, I just want to take that next step in my faith, in my discipleship. I want to grow in community. I want to grow uh, in, with believers reading the Bible, studying the Bible. Well, life groups are a beautiful and life-changing way to do that. And we have so many life groups available for you. You can go online at vlchurch.com. You'll get a, a, a full list of what life groups are happening, when they happen, and, uh, and what uh, they're going to be talking about, different topics and themes, or maybe a book of the Bible they're studying. Uh, but you can go online and get signed up for that. I encourage you to do that. It's, we literally, that's why they're called life groups, because we believe that they are life-changing. And so I wanted to make a note, too, that Becky Skifstad is also leading a life group, and she's at the Welcome Center this morning 
uh, to talk to you if you want any more information on what she's going to be leading and, and the group that she's going to be having. And so go see her at the Welcome Center um, and, and get signed up for a life group. I really encourage you to do that. Hey, if you want to get more involved as well um, in a particular ministry, uh, maybe you thought, man, I just want to, I just have a heart for the next generation and the now generation. Well, uh, in our youth ministry, we are having a youth leader interest meeting on October 9th. That's a Sunday. And it's between first and second service and after second service. And would love for you to be there. If that's something that interests you or God just put it on your heart uh, to impact the next generation and the now generation and, and to sow a seed into young people, we would love for you to be a part of that and to come out and just see if maybe this is God's next step in your journey. And so there will be food. Don't worry. You can come if you're like, if you skip breakfast, I'll have breakfast for you. Can I get an amen? Food brings us together here at Victory Life Church. Yes, it does. Come on out. I'd love for you to be there. Last but not least, if you would like to get more involved in our church, a beautiful way to do that is through Growth Track. If you want to get more involved, kind of get to know us and our DNA, and even to know God's next step in your life here in the local church at Victory Life Church, um, this is the best way you can do so. And so we would encourage you to get signed up for Growth Track at vlchurch.com. It's going to be uh, launching a four week Growth Track class on October 16th at 9.30 a.m. So you'll come here during the 9.30 service, and then you can still come and worship and celebrate with us during second service. So come on, on, come on out and be a part of it. Pastor Otto is going to be leading it. Uh, again, get signed up online. We'd love to see you there. Well, hey, that's all I have for you. If you came to worship the Lord with your tithes and your offerings, we just want to thank you for doing so. You can do so in a few different ways. Text to give. You can go online at vlchurch.com and give that way. And you can also give the old-fashioned way on the way out in a physical check or cash or whatever uh, you would like. And so that is all we have for you this morning. Thank you again for worshiping the Lord in that way. Would you stand to your feet and get ready to worship God through praise? He is worthy. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for how you refresh our souls as we get into your presence, God. Lord, this morning, would you refresh us? Lord, uh, will we give you all the praise because you are worthy of praise and your name is above every other name, Jesus. In this place, I pray that you are blessed by our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just worship him this morning. We're going to call upon his presence in this place. Let's just tell him we're here for him. It's all about him this morning. Allow your worship unto him to prepare you for the word that he has. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign. We are here for you. We are here for you. Let your breath come from heaven, Lord. Let your breath Come from heaven, fill our hearts with your life. We are here for you. Are you here for him? We are here for you. Here's your chance to surrender your heart, to tell him it's all yours, Lord. To you, our hearts. To you, our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. You 
Shout on to the Lord. Come on. Let our shouts be your anthem. Your renown fill the skies. We are here for you. Yes, we are. We are here for you. We want to see your word move in our lives. Let your word. Our voices 
Amen. The Bible says make a joyful noise before the Lord. I'm telling you, we were making a joyful noise this morning. We were having fun. I don't know about you yet, but we were making a joyful noise before the Lord. We were excited. We are loud. And you know why? Because we have a king who's worthy. I cheer for sports teams. I cheer for, I did cheer for LeBron James once. I cheer when I'm excited. But do I cheer when the king of kings enters the room? Have I established a throne that is worthy of the king of kings? Now, he's already got a throne, but I'm talking about right here. Have you established a throne in your heart that is worthy of the king of kings? I tell you what, when I sing that song that we just sang, I say, here in your house, here in your house, let your praise be loud. Here in your house, let your joy be break out this is where he lives and I want my praise to be loud I want it to be made loud for the king I want his throne to be magnified made huge because he's worthy we're going to sing about all the reasons why in a moment and you'll see you'll see that we have a king who is worthy 
So don't hold back. Let your joy break out. When you realize what this king has done for you, when you recognize it this morning, don't hold back your worship. He's worthy of it. And then see what he'll do. Give freely your praise and worship and allow him to stir your heart when you make that throne gigantic for him. Let's worship.
Praise you. Praise you in your holy temple. Praise you in the throne of my heart. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. We praise you. We lift up praise unto your name. We bless you today. We honor you. You are worthy. You are worthy to sit on the throne. You are worthy to sit on the throne. And you are worthy to be seated on the throne of my heart. The only one who can bring restoration to this tired, weary, broken soul. You are worthy. Heavenly Father, I pray over this people this morning. I pray for a tired, weary, broken soul that you would reveal yourself this morning and say, I can come sit in the throne of your heart and I can restore all things because I make all things new. Would you move in and amongst your people would you move in the hearts of your people? Lord Jesus, we love you. We have done our best in this place to celebrate the way heaven celebrates today. And our only regret is that we fall short here on this earth of giving you all the praise and glory you deserve. So Lord, I pray today that you would continue to be magnified, continue to be glorified in the hearts of your people and through the heartfelt desire to dive into the word of God and be changed by it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated.
All right, young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time. We'll see you all in a little bit. Excited to spend time with you a little bit later on, but I'm sure you're excited to spend time with Miss Jody down the hall. If you're newer to Victory Life, this is our children's church program that's leaving at this point, grades K through 6. They are welcome to uh, move on down the hall and uh, get something on their level. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to put a finger in Matthew chapter 4 and a finger in Matthew chapter 9. We have been studying through the book of Matthew and highlighting all of the, what I would call, evangelistic passages of Matthew. A true study of the book might take us more than a year, and I didn't feel called to that. What I really felt called to was to look at this Matthew as an evangelist concept and work our way through the book chronologically, but not stop at every single passage. And so we're going to come to an ending and a beginning today, and I want to be able to show that to you, so that's why we're going to be in Matthew 4 and Matthew chapter 9. I confess to you today that I'm a little bit uh, befuddled as I stand before you, and the reason is, is just because of the word we've just had from the Lord. Um, it was a strong word, it was a good word, and it was from his Holy Spirit. And I don't want to move past it. I think that would be a shame if I were to um, just move past what just happened in our midst, because we believe that the Lord still speaks, and he speaks through his people, and he can do so in power. I don't know where you're at with the Lord Jesus on the throne of your heart today. I don't know where you're at in your own ability to praise and worship. I do know that it's something that we're called to do in Scripture, and there's something very powerful that happens when we surrender our will and our desires and our preferences to be people who give the Lord praise and worship in his house and in his house and I want to encourage you today, when we have a word from the Lord like that, that we don't just move past it for the sake of moving on the church service and getting done in an hour, because I really feel as if the Holy Spirit has spoken to some of us very strongly today. And I don't know how to bring closure to a time like that, I have to be honest with you, because what we did in worship today was so in accordance with Psalm 90 and Psalm 100 and Psalm 150 to give the Lord praise and worship with joy and with noise and with happiness and with every uh, instrument that we can find. But I do think it important, and this is my admonition to us today, I do think it important to recognize that when we come into this place, we do have an opportunity to celebrate the Lord and all he has done. And I know that we get through a lot of announcements at the beginning of a service and we're really uh, just trying to internalize what's going on at the church and then move into the service and Usually Pastor Otto or Pastor Aaron will pray a prayer over us that sometimes can function as a transition within the service. And that transition is an important transition. And what I really want to encourage you towards next week to take away from what we've heard in the word this morning is not to take that prayer as merely a service transition, but to allow that time of prayer to be a prayer from your heart. To say, Lord Jesus, prepare me to give you right praise and right worship where I let my will, my preferences, my modes of worship kind of slip away and recognize that I've come into the house of the Lord to do what Christians have been doing since the time God devised the Levites and made a bunch of musicians out of his priests. And so I just want to really, want to really encourage you today, just don't take the word that we've had and say, okay, well, our band was excited and then they were emotional. No, don't do that. I would really encourage you, take that word and say, when Pastor Aaron or Pastor Otto or Pastor Matt or whomever transitions us from that time of, of announcements into a time of worship, I'm going to stop and I'm going to prepare my heart to give God praise.
praise and worship. That's, that's my job right now. Because something good happens when I open my heart unto the Lord. And I humbly, humbly worship him in spite of my own will, my own preferences, my own desires. So I just encourage you next week, you're going to hear that same old thing. If you came to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings this morning, you could do it this way and this way and this way. When you hear that next week, I want you to think to yourself, it is now time to prepare my heart to do what God has called me to do. And this is a powerful aspect of my fidelity to God if I will worship and praise him. And we'll take that word and we'll internalize it today and we'll do something with it. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray so we can transition because I'm still befuddled. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the way that you've spoken this morning. Sometimes your voice is gentle. Sometimes your voice is powerful. Sometimes your voice is an exhortation. Sometimes your voice is a conviction. And on some level, we might have all felt some different things today. But Lord, I pray we'll always respond to you. However your voice comes, that we'll respond to it. That we won't be cold and we won't be dead unto the things of the Spirit, but we will be alive unto Christ in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. I can probably preach now. All right. I told you to turn to Matthew 9, to Matthew 4. We're going to take a quiz today. You good for a quiz? I used to be in junior Bible quiz. My team stunk. We were terrible. For those of you who didn't grow up in church, you'd get four kids from your church, and they'd line up and have these buzzers, and you'd go against kids from other churches, and you'd hit the buzzer if you knew the answer before the other kids knew the answer. I didn't know the answer, because I didn't really work a junior Bible quiz, and there was also two kids on my team that didn't actually speak, so it was real hard for us to win, and uh, it was a tough thing. But quizzes are fun. My son has been taking Latin in school, which is really fun for me, not fun for him. Gina told me a few weeks ago, you are the Latin tutor. And I said, yes. <laughs> Finally, the skills I learned in college come to bear in my own household. I might not be able to replace the garbage disposal, but biblical languages, yes, indeed. And so I'm learning Latin. I actually know Greek and Hebrew. I'm learning Latin with my son. We've been working and practicing and doing all these different conjugations and declensions, and it's just really exciting. And so I was so excited the first Wednesday. Wednesday is quiz day. I got to send him to school to see how I was going to do on his Latin quiz. <laughs> and I had a lot invested in it emotionally. I was ready, you know, to, to, to see, and, and, and he did great. I did great on his Latin quiz. He did great on his Latin quiz. We were excited. So it's, it's good to know what we know. It's good to be able to demonstrate what we know. Now, I'm not calling this a quiz today just for fun, and I needed some kind of structure for the message. That's not why I'm calling it a quiz. I'm calling it a quiz because we have just finished a section of Matthew. Can I show that to you today to, to try to understand why we need to go back and see if we know what we know? If you're in Matthew chapter 4, I want to show you two different verses. One's going to be Matthew 4, verse 17, which is an incredibly important verse in all of Scripture because it's where Jesus begins his ministry. 4.17 says this, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, so that's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. He then calls his disciples, and if you want to turn about six or seven verses forward, we're going to see Matthew 4.23. Uh, my, my team didn't know I was doing this this morning, and so if you don't see it on the screen, that's why. We're going to turn to Matthew 4, 23, because I want you to see this. 
And then it says, after Jesus has called his first disciples, and when he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. Do you see that? Matthew 4, 23. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. All right, now fast forward now to chapter 9, where we're going to be at today, 9.35. I'm going to show you that this is the close of the second section of Matthew. Look at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Where have we seen that before? We saw that in 423. All right, so when you're reading your Bible and you see something like that, you're going, okay, we're closing a section. And it's interesting that in Matthew 4:17, Jesus begins to preach about the kingdom, and then he calls his first disciples. Jesus is now going to, or Matthew's now going to rehearse that same editorial comment. Jesus went about all over the place preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. So he's going to bring it to a close. And then in chapter 10, he sends out those disciples he's called. Do you see the switch? Jesus is the one doing the ministry from four onwards. Now Jesus and his disciples are the ones doing the ministry from chapter 10 onwards. So we're closing here. And Matthew is closing this section of the scriptures with some editorial comments. He gives us this one about Jesus proclaiming the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. He's then going to tell us what Jesus was thinking or what was going on in Jesus' heart as he does it. And then he's going to end with this command of Jesus that we're going to take real seriously in the house of the Lord today. So we've got these three things, three powerful visions, a vision of the kingdom, and we're going to see two more visions. So here's our quiz today. It's going to be three questions. It's going to be three questions. Does our good news match his? Him being Jesus. Does our good news match his? Do our hearts match his? That's the second question I want to ask today. Do our hearts match his? And then finally, do our prayer, prayers, prayer, prayers match his? Does our prayer match his? Maybe that's the better way of putting it. Does our prayer match? match his. And I think you'll be able to see the structure of that as we read these four verses this morning. Now you might ask the question, why do I want to match Jesus? Because you're a Christian, right? That, that, should, be, that should be very turnkey, right? But you are a Christian, therefore you want to match Christ. Now I know for some of you, you're feeling that on a very heartfelt level today, I want to be like Jesus. Some of you are probably feeling that on at least a head level, I ought to th- be like Jesus, I ought to match him. Some of you would call yourself a Christian, but you're like, I don't know that I have much of a desire to be like Jesus. We need to talk about discipleship and becoming a Christian, okay? And then some of you are a seeker, and you're just like, I don't know anything about Jesus, so this will be interesting this morning. Well, here we go. Wherever you're at, you're going to learn something for the quiz. Does our heart match his? Do our prayers match his? Does our good news or our gospel match his? Let's read Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and following. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's pretty, pretty powerful because Jesus gives us three big visions. The vision of the kingdom, the vision of the sheep and the shepherds, and the vision of the harvest. 
Jesus used a lot of metaphorical language, didn't he, to help capture our imagination. Last week we did communion, the bread and the cup to signify his body and blood. Jesus loved to use word pictures to help us understand what he wanted us to understand. Just as if you were studying for a quiz, you might use mnemonic devices. As Jesus taught, he used metaphorical language and parables so we would really catch hold of what he wanted us to catch hold of. So here first we have the question, does our good news match his? Because that's what gospel means. Gospel is actually an old English word, and I, how it ends up in our Bibles today is merely by tradition. It literally means good news. And we saw in Matthew 4, verse 17, Matthew 4, verse 23, and now in Matthew 9, verse 35, Jesus' primary business was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I've lived in a democracy my whole life. I've lived here in the United States of America. There's not too many monarchies and dictatorships that I've been uh, around, but the idea of this kingdom, it's a powerful and it's an important one. This idea of the kingdom is that God is establishing his reign on earth. Not a reign of, of a nation, not a reign of a country with boundaries, but a reign in the hearts of men and women by which they are taking their current kingdom that they are a part of and saying, I don't want any part of you anymore. I don't want to be part of this worldly kingdom, this worldly kingdom divined by selfishness and sin and hurt and wounding and pain. I don't want to be part of this broken kingdom anymore. I want to be part of God's kingdom, which is full of righteousness and hope and goodness and mercy, and salvation, and all of those good words that we can ascribe to God. I want to be part of that now. Jesus is saying the good news is you can be part of that now. And inherent in this, catch this, is the idea that you can be part of the kingdom and that God would want you to be part of it. That's good news. That God would want you to be a part of his reign. Little old you. Little old me. God's interested in us leaving the current kingdom that we're in and becoming part of him. This is a great offer. You get to leave the darkness for the light. You get to leave the mud house for Camelot. You get to leave Mordor for Rivendell. You're leaving Walmart for anywhere else. You get to leave <laughs> the current state of darkness and become part of God's kingdom. That's good news. Now, how do you do this? It's very simple. Jesus laid it out in 417. I don't know if you still have a finger there. But in 417, he says you need to repent, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that speaks two things for us. Let's deal with the at hand first. The kingdom is summed up, summarized, okay, is encapsulated in Jesus, in his nearness. In fact, as Matthew is explaining what Jesus has come to do, he says two things. And this goes back all the way to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, as he's talk, the angel's talking to Joseph. He says, Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. There's the repent part. And he's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. So how, do you, how, how does little old you, little old me, leave the mud for Camelot, leave Mordor for Rivendell? How do we do that? Well, little old you and little old me are able to do that in two ways. One, because Jesus has come. He's at hand. Jesus made his way to earth incarnate and changed everything for us. 
And the presence of Jesus is necessary for us to enter the kingdom. I'm going to say that again. For those of you who don't have any desire to be like Christ this morning, but, but maybe you have a twinge in your spirit that says, maybe I ought to, the presence of Jesus is necessary for us to enter the kingdom. He's at hand. And the second thing that the gospel writer lets us know that was in the mouth of Jesus is that repentance is necessary. A leaving of the old way, a leaving of the sin, a renouncing of the old ways in order to turn towards God and make him the center of your focus and the Lord of your life. That's how you enter the kingdom. That's how you enter God's reign. You allow him to take control of your will, your heart, your life, and your future, and you say, I'm yours, Lord. That's repentance. I renounce my sin. I repent of it. I leave it behind. I leave my plans and my purposes and my will and my ethics, and I throw them in the garbage can. As Paul says, there's filthy rags. I'm not preaching to the heating vent. I'm just showing us this way is the kingdom. There's filthy rags, and I don't want any part of them anymore. That's repentance. So it's a question for us today before we ask the question, does our gospel match his? Have you truly repented? This is an important question. Because if I were to ask you what the gospel is today, you would look at me. If, I, if, if we hadn't talked about the kingdom for just a minute, let's back up. If, if we hadn't talked about the kingdom, I'd say, I'd say oh, you know, Audra, what's the gospel? Audra would look at me with all of her biblical knowledge, and she would say that Jesus died for my sins and rose that I might have eternal life. She's, she knows that. Aaron knows that. Arlen knows that. Jesus died for my sins, and he rose again that I might have eternal life. That's the gospel. So what gospel was Jesus preaching? Because he hadn't done that yet. He was preaching a gospel that says, through me, you can join God in what God's doing. Join the kingdom. Be part of the kingdom. Repent and turn. I'll take care of that whole sin problem right away. All right? This should be our gospel, okay? So, so a lot of times our gospel can be something like, well, God loves you. Okay. My, my Mexican restaurant, when I call for food, says, here at blank blank, we love you. Would you like to order your fajitas now? Yes, thank you. God loves me doesn't do it for me, and I don't believe that my Mexican restaurant actually loves me. They want my money for their fajitas, all right? So, so that can't be our gospel, and, and, and yes, the gospel is Jesus died for our sins, and we can have eternal life through him, so let's pray and ask him to supernaturally justify us before God, but if we miss the repentance necessary to enter the kingdom, and if we miss the presence of God being necessary in our life for us to enter the kingdom, we are remiss. Our gospel has to match his. We have to want a relationship with Christ, who has come, who is at hand, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us. And we must repent, we must turn towards God and let him have full control of our lives. That's the full gospel. Now that's going to be necessary for the second matching. Why must our gospel match Christ's gospel? Because if our gospel doesn't match his gospel, we're robbing people of everything God has for them. We are robbing them of what Christ wants to do in them. Let's read further. And let's go back to verse 36, all right? So I guess we're moving down through the line. Except this time I want to read verse 36 to you in the NASB, the NASB, all right? The New American Standard Bible. And I have my reasons for doing this, but, but suffice it to say for the sake of time, I just felt like this was a better translation in the Greek, and I rarely feel that. I, I'm really high on the ESV, but I like what the NASB did here, so, so humor me. 
Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So what I'm reading that for is I like the distressed and dispirited better than the harassed and helpless. I feel like the ESV was trying to match the wording to sheep instead of just going with the straight translation because when Jesus saw people, he felt compassion for them because they were dispirited and they were distressed. Now I find this interesting that Jesus sees these crowds of people Jesus is aware of their sin. He's aware of their selfishness. He's aware of everything that they've done to rebel against God, and yet he has a heart of compassion for them. I think this is an important point. He doesn't differentiate. Let's say the worst sinner in the room is over here, and the least sinner in the room is over there, all right? He's looking at all of them with compassion and saying they're dispirited, they're distressed. My heart goes out to them for how lost they are. I find this incredibly important. Matthew found this incredibly important because Jesus doesn't speak the words here. There's no quotes. Matthew's letting us know that Jesus led us into his inner monologue, and this is how he feels about the people that he's ministering to. They're distressed, and they're dispirited, and his heart went out to them. And, and, and dot, 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 in spite of their sin. And this is an important theological point for how we ought to see a lost and a dying and a broken world because it's so easy for us to get angry at sin and sinners. But that's not what Jesus sees when he sees the crowds. Remember, Jesus makes it very clear that his first trip to this planet was not to judge, but to save. There will be a time when Jesus comes to judge. There will be a time when he comes to give, people according to, to give to people according to what they have done. Judgment will come one day. Jesus is not going to leave sins go unpunished here. But his initial trip, these 33 years he spent on earth, was about saving lost people. And for him to save them, he had to have compassion on them. He could not be fixated on their sin. He had to be fixated on their state. Okay? That's going to help us, folks, because it's very easy, especially in the information age, to get fixated on the sins of others, is it not? I was driving past uh, to pick up one of my kids, and somebody had a bumper sticker that said, Hello, America, what are we offended at today? And I thought, that's about it, right? Right, left, middle, or otherwise, what are we upset about today? It's very easy, right, to get so upset with what we perceive to be the sins of others. But if our heart is to match Jesus, because that's the second question, not just does our gospel match his, not just does our good news match his, does our heart match his, do we look at those who we don't agree with or think have any sense whatsoever in the world because of their sin, and does our heart go out to them as distressed and dispirited people? It's an important question, is it not? It's really tough not to, not to just get lumped into our tribes anymore and just think like everybody else thinks in our little enclave of people and get angrier and angrier the more we watch the news and social media and just decide that people are lost and they're going to stay that way. Jesus had compassion on these distressed and these dispirited people. It was important to him to see them that way, and he thought his disciples ought to see them that way. Now, I'm not going to dive into the word distress. I'm not going to dive into the word dispirited. I think that you're smart enough to go, I-, I get the concept. 
But I want to ask you a question. This is why our gospel is important. What is the remedy for distressed and dispirited? The presence of Jesus and repentance. Overall, that's the remedy for distressed and dispirited. The presence of Jesus and repentance. And I mean holistic repentance. I don't just mean that if you're distressed or you're cast down that you've sinned. Somebody might have sinned against you. Okay, so I, I'm, not, I'm not just saying repentance as your sin. I mean turning from the way you're processing that sin that's been done against you or turning from the sin that you have done against other people, renouncing it, seeking to make things right, and then turning towards Christ. That attitude that has left you in anxiety. Lord Jesus, I renounce that. I need your presence. Help me to repent and turn towards you. It's not like that outright sin, like I punched the guy who, who cut me off in traffic. That's just outright sin. It might be a, it might be a, a propensity to get into that place of dispiritedness, to get into that place of distress, you need to repent of that. It might be that you've got a sinful pattern in your life and you need to ask God to forgive you and turn from that. But the remedy for distressed and dispirited is repentance in the presence of Christ. Now you say, well, Pastor Matt, I've been distressed and dispirited for some time and I've been seeking counseling for that. And I would look at you and say, that's very good. That's very good that you're doing that. You say, well, why? Well, here's the thing. We live in the information age, which means that we are bombarded by more messages than any generation of humans has ever been. But we are less communicative than any generation of humans has ever been, which means that we don't have these close friendships where we talk for three hours and can externally process everything going on in our lives. So sometimes we have to pay for that. I'm being just a little bit crass, but it's true. Sometimes we just need someone to listen that won't interrupt and they'll ask good questions. And so I have no problem with, with psychology or therapy. I think it's important that we, that we unpack these things and share from our hearts with somebody who will ask questions and has the time to listen. So I'm not knocking counseling by saying that the remedy for distressed and dispiritedness is repentance in, in, in the presence of Jesus. I'm just saying that once we've unpacked these things and once we've had a chance to process through our feelings and hurts and emotions and sins, then we need to seek Christ. And then we need to repent of the old ways. Does that make sense? So if you have great friends who you can unpack every, every hurt that you've ever had to, that's wonderful. Go ahead and unpack it, okay? And, 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 and they'll keep asking questions until you've shared it all. That's wonderful. God bless you if you have that. But, but, but Jesus is the remedy. Jesus is the remedy. That's why our gospel has to be the full gospel. Not just let's pray and get your sins covered today. Let's repent and run towards Jesus because he is the kingdom. Do you see why it's important that our, that our, our, our hearts match his? Because our gospel has to match his and our heart has to match his. Now I know we're rounding on to 1022 and you've been listening to me for 23 minutes at this point. And this is the point that I would emotionally check out if I were you. So I'm gonna ask you as an act of your will to just start wiggling your leg until you're ready to reconnect with me here, because there's one more point. Does our prayer match his? Jesus gives us this interesting picture now of the harvest. He's just told us that these sheep need a shepherd. We'll get back to that in a minute. But now he gives us the harvest. God sees souls as ready to be harvested. But for some reason, God needs... I know that doesn't match everybody's theology here, so... 
let's just say that God desires, depending on your theology, we're all covered now. God desires or needs your prayers that harvesters would be sent into the field. Now, how many of you ever prayed for the lost? You ever prayed for the lost? Somebody in your family, somebody doesn't know Jesus, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody, you prayed for the lost, right? You want them to know Jesus. Don't raise your hands because we all be like, I don't know. Have you ever prayed that God would send people out into the field to harvest those people for Christ? That's a different prayer, isn't it? I don't know how many times I've, I've had the temerity to go to the altar and, and, and pray with one of the elders of the church and say, you know what, I'm just here to pray with you that God would send other people into the harvest field. But that's what Jesus asks us to pray. Now, I find it ironic, deeply ironic, that in just a few verses, he's going to send out his disciples. So they're going to pray for it, and then he's going to send them. Okay? But that's an argument from silence, but I'm not making it. Okay? I am not making the argument that we pray for God to send other people into the field, and then he sends us. I would not be able to do that biblically. I just find it ironic. And maybe that's the wrong uses of ironic, and that's why I took biblical languages and not grammar. But anyhow, does, does our prayer match his? I find it interesting as well. If we were to look into chapter 10, it says that he sends out his apostles. He, he, he apostolizes them. Uh, that's the word for send out, apostello. He sends his disciples into the field. But that's not what he asks us to pray earnestly for here. He asks us that God would cast out people into his field. It's a different word altogether for send. Ekbalo, to pick up and toss out into the harvest field. And as a pastor, I resonate with this word. That God would pray, would have us pray, that he would pick up people and toss them out into the evangelistic world. Because anecdotally, I think that it's almost as hard, I mean this, anecdotally, almost as hard to get somebody to start actively evangelizing as it is for someone to turn to Christ and get saved. It's almost as hard. It's anecdotal. But, but I think if I were like to write the theory or, or to write the postulate or whatever it is and, and test it by scientific method that it would be true. If I, did, if I ran the numbers, it's almost as hard to win somebody to Christ as to get that person who's been won to Christ out into the field actively evangelizing. Therefore, Jesus says, pray earnestly about it. And I love the ESV translation here because, because that word for pray earnestly is beg God to cast people out from his presence into the field where souls can be harvested. Thus closeth section two of Matthew. Pray earnestly, pray earnestly that God would give some people a holy kick in the rear end out into the field to harvest the souls that he has prepared for them to harvest. God's already done the work. So why don't we just obey the Lord today? Does that sound good? We have a command of scripture. Why don't we do it in church? So we're going to do this today, and it's going to be very simple, and it's not going to be long. 
but I'd love you to actively participate with us today in making sure our prayer matches his. So it's simple. In just a moment, AJ's going to begin to play because you don't pray in church unless there's a guitar playing behind you. Just don't do it. It's, it's unspiritual. But what we're going to do is we're going to pray for a couple of things in this place, that our heart would match his, that our gospel would match his, and that God would send out people into the field to win souls. We're just going to honor the Lord Jesus. So here's how you can participate with us in the next five minutes, in the final five minutes of our service. And for some of you, this is the best news you're going to hear today. You can remain seated and pray silently. You're welcome. God bless you. But I ask you to engage in prayer to honor the Lord Jesus. Is that fair? Would you pray with us? Don't, don't check your fantasy football team. Don't, don't, don't read Terry Pluto. That's what I would be doing if I were, you know, slacking in church. But can I say Terry Pluto on the live stream? Strike that. All right. So you can stay seated and pray earnestly. But what I'd love for some of you to be open to doing is praying with another soul in this place. And so if you're open in just a minute to praying with another soul that God would send out people into the harvest to share his full gospel, to be a shepherd to people, to lead them closer to Christ, to love them enough to say, you're not a stupid sheep who's gotten yourself into trouble. I will lovingly move you towards Jesus so we can, that we can pray like that. I'm just going to say, when we close our eyes, you just stand and you look around and you find somebody close to you and if this isn't too weird, we've got plenty of Purell as you walk out the door. Just grab a hand, you know. Keep some distance. Don't breathe heavily on somebody if you didn't have breakfast or something. Just grab a hand. Men with men, women with women, okay? And I want you to pray from your heart. And then as the other person prays, you agree with them in prayer. And if you don't know how to agree with somebody in prayer, go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Or you can use that deep biblical word, amen. Amen, yes. Agree with them. Amen means truly, truly, yes. I, I agree, I affirm, okay? And we're just going to pray that God sends people out just to obey Jesus today in this place, okay? So right now, could I ask uh, very humbly, would everybody bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? All right? And in just a moment... I'm going to ask you if you are able, and, and God's speaking to you, I will, I will pray and agree, because where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Let's, let's work in agreement today. I will stand and I will pray with another person in my church that God would send us out into the harvest field to shepherd people towards Jesus and win souls. I'll pray with somebody over that. If that's you, will you stand on the count of three? One, two, three. Just stand right now. I'll pray with somebody with another soul all right for those of you who have stood men with men women with women will you just go will you just move and then we're just going to pray in this house find somebody to turn around find somebody to pray with if you need to get in threes that's great Actually, you can get in a three that's fine odd numbers three is a biblical number we like that with every head bowed and every eye closed would you just pray the three points of this sermon right now just make this a house of prayer.
Oh, Lord Jesus, how beautiful are the prayers of the saints. God, we thank you that we've had the opportunity to obey your word in so many ways this morning. Father God, I pray that you would make of us proclaimers of the full gospel. I pray that you would make of us people who have compassion for the lost, who will gently shepherd those who need to move towards the kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to go out into your harvest because, Lord, we're convinced that there's someone near us that's ready to know you. Oh, God, I pray that we'd give them the full gospel, that we would not rob them of the truth, that repentance and the presence of Jesus will lead them into the greatest relationship they have ever had and give them the brightest eternity, more bright than they could ever imagine. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you all stand today? We've had a lot of church in the last hour and five minutes. And let's take that church out of here to the people who need it. Heavenly Father, send us from this place. Cast us, Lord, into your field. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.